0: Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. Their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do this same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Reflecting on this, I decided to follow her advice. And I noticed profound changes in my own dogs. Enhanced energy, healthier skin and an overall younger demeanor. It's truly heartwarming to see them so vibrant and full of life. Go to badlandsfood.com slash hometown and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash hometown.
1: When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes.
0: The sky to the west of the small town of Peshtigo, Wisconsin glowed red before the sunrise, on the morning of October 8, 1871. It was Sunday, and when the local priest stepped out of his church to greet local parishioners, the air was smoky and white ash fell like snow. The priest, whose name was Peter Pernan, turned and went back into the church and ran to the front of the sanctuary. He grabbed the holy tabernacle, the small cabinet, holds the Catholic Eucharist, Pernan carried the tabernacle outside, enjoying the crowd of people preparing to flee. If the red sky wasn't enough of a warning that something bad was coming, an eerie sound provided the finishing touch. Pernan later described it as a distant roaring yet muffled sound announcing that the elements were in commotion somewhere. Pernan hurried toward the river with the tabernacle, dumping it into the water to protect it from the coming inferno. That's when, as one poet later put it, all hell rode into town on the back of a wind, and the deadliest wildfire in American history broke out. In 1871, Pestigo, Wisconsin was a major lumber town. It was home to the world's largest woodenware factory, which churned out wooden household items 24-7. It lay on the northeast side of Green Bay, about six miles away from the shore. The forest surrounding Pestigo was packed with white pine trees. These massive trees were perfect for lumber, 120 feet tall and 3 feet in diameter. The wood from one tree could build an entire house. The Pestigo River wound throughout the center of the town. This made it easy for loggers to chop a tree, strip off its branches, and roll it into the river. The river floated the logs right to the mill. When the area was clear, loggers set fire to the remaining stumps, branches, and other debris. Wood was everywhere in Pestigo. Houses, stores, bridges, shingles, and sidewalks were all wooden. Sawdust was used as mattress stuffing and to dry moisture on the streets. Pestigo was always at risk of burning. To make matters more dangerous, a terrible drought stretched throughout the Great Lakes region. It had only rained twice all summer. In fact, a small fire had broken out two weeks earlier. Men with buckets of water and the volunteer fire department from the nearby town of Marinette extinguished it. That fire, and others that commonly broke out further to the west, made the air so smoky and dark that schools often had to close. Pernan himself had an experience with an unexpected fire, When he moved to Pestigo, two years earlier, a 12-year-old boy took him on a hunting trip. As night fell, Pernan and the boy began hearing the sound of fire, and the noise came from underground. This was a frequent phenomenon. The fire would burn underground almost constantly, using dry peat and other organic material just below the surface as fuel. On the night of the hunting trip, those flames rose to the surface. It started by just burning dry leaves. Pernan said, but the wind soon fanned it into a full-fledged fire. Pernan and the boy were trapped in a circle of flames. Townspeople, who knew Pernan and the boy were in the woods, came out to save them. They beat the flames with tree branches to create a path for the pair to get out of the circle. That fire wasn't huge and didn't reach Pestigo, but the speed with which it grew terrified Pernan. All the previous fires were simply foreshadowing the major event. You've probably heard of the Great Chicago Fire. Miss O'Leary's cow allegedly knocked over a lantern, and the summer-long drought took care of the rest. The fire killed 300 people, destroyed three square miles of the city, and left 100,000 residents homeless. On that same day, October 8, 1871, a cold front moved into the town from the northwest, mingling with the remaining summer heat. This formed what's known as a low-pressure cell. Air rises and cools off while warm air rushes into the cell to replace it. This causes a counterclockwise spinning motion. Hurricanes are the most well known form of low pressure cells. The wind picked up as the evening advanced, reaching an estimated 110 miles per hour. The redness to the west brightened. Around 10 o'clock, a group of men prepared a mechanical pump to spray water from the river. Others filled buckets and doused their homes with water, hoping the dampness would keep them from burning. Some pestigans got ready to leave. They packed bags, saddle horses, and made their way to neighboring towns for the night. Others, perhaps desensitized by all the false alarms they'd seen that summer, continued on with their lives. The low rumbling that Pernan described turned into a roar, like a freight train or a waterfall. A sheet of flames erupted from the forest. The men dropped their hoses and ran. The swirling wind had formed a fire tornado, something straight out of a nightmare. The twister swept up buildings, rail cars, and people, charring them before throwing the remnants miles away. Survivors said they could see birds trying to fly away from the funnel, but they were sucked back into the flames. Pernan described the noise. A thousand deafening noises rose on the air together. The neighing of horses, falling of chimneys... Crashing of uprooted trees, roaring and whistling of the wind, crackling of fire, as it rained with lightning-like rapidity from house to house. There was one notable absence. All sounds were there, save that of the human voice. People seemed stricken dumb by terror, Pernan said. The firestorm settled over Pestigo, savoring all the fuel in the town. Structures were consumed instantly. The wooden town was nothing but fuel for the fire. Dust and ash and smoke blinded the pestigans, causing mass chaos. Some ran toward the river. Others, in the confusion and churning mess, ran away from it, straight toward death. Pernan joined the crowd running toward the river. When they got there, some were afraid to jump in because they couldn't swim and the river was cold. Pernan convinced many of them that the risk of drowning was better than burning alive. Several pestigans shared Pernan's opinion that burning alive was the worst death imaginable. One father slit the throats of his wife and children. Another tied a noose around his daughter's neck and pushed her into a well before killing himself the same way. Those in the river had to tread water, while also splashing their heads to keep them from burning. Many dipped clothes and blankets into the water and then covered their heads, but the heat dried the material instantly and it caught on fire. The fire jumped over the river. The force of the wind, blew burning debris across the water. Bridges provided another path for the fire to reach the east side of the town. Pernan said that when he looked up, he couldn't see the sky because of the flames that roared overhead. He compared the flames to clouds that roll across the sky during a storm. Others who weren't near the river had to look for other types of shelter. Some jumped into wells, which seemed like a safe idea, but they were often trapped by burning, falling wood, or suffocated and the firestorm sucked up all the oxygen. Some lay in shallow streams and covered themselves with mud. Others survived by hiding behind a rock or a hill, and the fire went above them. This was the tactic chosen by one mother, who was found burned to death behind a rock, having protected her infant well enough for the baby to survive. A family of five got into their horse-drawn wagon and tried to escape, but there was nowhere to go. The horse caught on fire, panicked, and drove the entire family back into the blaze. Seventy-five people decided to wait out the fire in a boarding house. They all died. The firestorm burned so hot that the sand on the streets and along the river banks melted into glass. There were holes in the ground where trees and stumps burned to the end of the roots. The bell at Pernon's church melted. The only structure left standing in the morning was a brick kiln. Pernan spent five and a half hours in the river. He and others were temporarily blinded by the extreme heat and blowing dust. In a cruel paradox, a frigid October morning awaited those who emerged from the river. The ground was still warm, so Pernan and others laid down to keep from freezing. When his sight came back, Pernan comforted and prayed for those who were dying. Someone pointed Pernan toward the tabernacle that he had rescued. It was wedged between some debris floating in the river, still intact. It was one of the few things that survived. By the time word got to the capital city of Madison, they had already sent all their help to Chicago. Firefighters, doctors, and officials were headed south. Any lives that could have been saved by timely assistance in Pestigo were lost. The firestorm destroyed 16 communities along Green Bay. Between 1,500 to 2,500 people died across the region, at least five times more, than in the Chicago fire. The fire's reach stretched as far south as the northern outskirts of Green Bay and north into the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. The town of Marinette, seven miles away, was partially burned. Their remaining hotels and houses were used as hospitals. Causes of death varied. Some who jumped in the river died of hypothermia or drowned. Others died of suicide, smoke inhalation, heat exposure, falling debris or simply burned to death. Only 800 Pestigans survived, meaning many of the dead had no one left to identify them. They went into mass graves, along with those who were unidentifiable. A first-person account of the cleanup describes burying 900 to 1,000 in a trench. One mass grave has since been exhumed, revealing over 350 people. Some people were completely cremated, making it more difficult to get a final tally. A miserable side effect of the fire was the death of almost all living things. Pets, livestock, bugs, wildlife, all burned, making recovery even more difficult. In all, more than 1.2 million acres burned, leaving a scorched shell almost three times the size of Houston. Some people hypothesized that the series of fires in the region were caused by fragments from Biela's comet, but most scientists have rejected that idea in favor of a more logical explanation. The terrible drought, combined with hazardous agricultural techniques, caused the conflagration. The slash-and-burn agriculture used by loggers in the region was dangerous. They rarely extinguished the fires they set. In fact, those fires often burned continuously underground, using humus and peat and root systems as fuel. Thus, there didn't even need to be an outside spark from a comet or stray match. The fire was already set. The combination of ignition, hurricane-like winds, and fuel sources formed what's known as the Peshtigo Paradigm. American and British militaries studied the Pestigo paradigm to duplicate the firestorm. They used what they learned to make effective bombs against Japan and Germany in World War II. Pestigo was eventually rebuilt and is now a town of about 3,500 residents. It never recovered as a lumber town, of course, because all the trees had burned. Pernan wrote his story down and sold it to raise funds to rebuild the churches that were destroyed. This is how we know so much of what happened. He called his memoir, The Finger of God is There, and it can be found in most libraries. You can also learn more about the incident by visiting the Pestigo Fire Museum. It's housed in an old church, the first building that was rebuilt after the fire. It's home to exhibits and artifacts from the fire, storytelling events, a cemetery for those who died, and one of the museum's most popular attractions, the tabernacle that Pernin saved.